The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. We are joined by our friend Pedro Gonzalez. He has an amazing Substack. You should definitely subscribe. Check it out. Contra. And he's also a writer, a columnist at Chronicles Magazine. Pedro, good to have you on, sir. Buck, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. The Republican Party right now. What does it need in terms of a kick in the ass to actually do the things that it says it's going to do? I find myself in a position where if someone were to ask me, what is the purpose of the Republican Party? It feels like a lot of days I would just have to say to not be the Democrat Party. What do you think? Mm -hmm. How's it going? Well, that sounds like a tall order, Buck. Uh, Don't be the Democrats. Well, it seems like they're always trying to outflank them to some degree even when you think the GOP is making progress. And I think it is, right? We have to acknowledge progress where it happens. And obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, I thought it was progress when 20 Republicans stood up to Kevin McCarthy and tried to get concessions out of him that were meaningful. I thought that was progress. But then you check the headlines, you check the stories that are coming out you know, day after day, and it really just seems like it's a revert to the norm, which is, as someone said, the GOP is just the Democratic Party driving the speed limit. So I don't know. I don't think it actually happens on its own. I don't think it's, uh, it's you're talking about institutional inertia. If uninterrupted, the GOP just goes in this, in this direction. And ultimately, it's up to the base. It's up to the GOP's voters to, to say no. Uh, to do more than just say stand athwart, but to actually uh, change something. And I'll give you one example before you can cut me off. Uh, After the RNC fight, because obviously most Republican voters are not happy with the RNC, they don't like Ronna Romney McDaniel, you you saw a remarkable remarkable amount of outrage from the base after uh, Ronna was reelected. And one person in particular who I think uh, most people can agree has done a lot for the GOP. Scott Pressler, who you know literally travels around the country to sign people up to vote, 
He said, uh, I'm not going to complain about the vote going sideways, but I am going to try to build infrastructure to basically bypass the RNC and render it useless. And I think that's the kind of attitude that Republican voters need to have. So what does that look like going forward? Who, in your mind, should be the standard bearer or the standard bearers? I don't think it just has to be one person, say, the presidential nominee for Republicans. Who's getting it done on the broad team that we could call the right? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's tough to answer because, again, I think we've almost overlooked the shakeup that happened over the last month or so between the the fight over the House Speaker uh, and the fight over the RNC because, I mean, it almost seems like people don't want to acknowledge what just happened. You know, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene coming down on the wrong side of the 20, calling them or saying that they were taking they were taking the country hostage. I mean, this is a really uncomfortable thing to discuss, right? Because everyone loves MTG. I've defended her and, and written, you know, in support of her. But then at this really pivotal moment, she's kind of doggedly going after the 20 for for threatening Kevin McCarthy's speakership. And that was a really uncomfortable moment. You know, all of these talking heads suddenly turned against the Republicans who everyone was saying, like, wait, hold on. Those 20 Republicans seem like they're doing something that's pretty MAGA right now standing up to the, the GOP establishment, right? So there was a real shakeup. It was like the world got turned upside down. So to answer your question, I'm not sure, but I think that most Republicans can agree that the most interesting things that are happening right now are happening in Florida. Uh, Revolver News, which is run by Darren Beatty, who is you know very publicly, outspokenly pro-Trump, just published a piece about how the institutional capture that DeSantis and his team are conducting down in Florida, specifically uh, with colleges and schools, it's a blueprint for how to recapture other institutions. So it really seems like Florida and whatever DeSantis's team is doing right now is kind of like where most of us can look for an example of, of people that don't just talk, but they do. Yeah, I think one of my frustrations on the right, Pedro, uh, having done this now mm-hmm. for over, what, going on 12, 13 years, is how widespread uh, certain ideas were about how we should fight and about what it looks like that I think have been shown to be not just wrong, but 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 damned wrong, foolhardy. I mean, one of them is the idea uh, that we can just fight to have fair treatment in institutions. We, we just want to be treated fairly in this, you know, in the school system, meaning our ideology, you know, conservatives. Um, you know, we just want social media companies, you know, just basically be fair, be nice to us without understanding that the opposition we face lives for, I mean, exists for the raw exercise of power. And that if you cede all these institutions to them, the demand for fair treatment is really just a demand to be punched in the face slightly less hard. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's like saying, stop hitting me when you're being pummeled. That's really what that is. And sometimes it's said more explicitly. And and I understand the sentiment behind slogans like the right just wants to be left alone and you know like basically that that's i think that's a slogan that you hear like the right wants to be left alone like the and the left wants to like you know tell us what to do or whatever i'm sorry to say but nature hates a vacuum and in 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 a vacuum something will fill it and and if you really think if your whole worldview revolves around i just want to be left alone well someone is not going to leave you alone um, you have to use power. You have to use institutions to protect yourself. And ultimately, again, uh, th- there is no such thing as neutral institutions. The institutions are political. And as such, they're, they're going to be connected to some kind of worldview. And I think that the right has put itself in a really bad spot by convincing itself that institutions, especially political ones, can never be neutral. Uh, it, again, this is this is something that we're, we're we're accustomed to associating with the left, forcing your worldview on people and things like that. Well, I think you, the way that the right needs to think is actually we are the ones that can build a better country. We're the ones that can govern morally and correctly and in, in, in a way that's conducive to human flourishing. Instead of saying, I just want to be left alone, I think that that's actually what we need to tell ourselves. So So where do you think this cognitive dissonance kicks in? Because, uh, or or, or how? 
Um, you were mentioned before Marguerite Taylor Greene and, and the 20 rebels within the Congress and, and that which which played out recently and still ended up with Kevin. Kevin McCarthy is speaker and Ronna McDaniel is RNC chair. Right. So for all of the the pushing and pushing back and everything else, we still have two very establishment GOP figures in the roles they previously had. Now, I know the rebels would say they got some concessions from McCarthy. I'm sure Ronna McDaniel has said, you know, she'll spend le- less money at at you know, Bergdorf Goodman or whatever, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that there's like something that she's promised that she'll do, you know, on personal expenditures will go down, whatever. But it feels <laughs> to me like, like the base gets so angry, you know, and, you know, I speak to the base every, you write for the base and, you know, you, you speak to them on podcasts when you Tucker show, I speak to the base on radio every day and they get so angry about the establishment, the sellouts and the, and the Mitch McConnell's and the Lindsey Graham's and, uh, and then they vote for them. And, and I mean, one one situation that I, I know you speaking of, uh, of being on Tucker show, you dealt with this one pretty recently where Lindsey Graham is in so many. He's horrible on immigration. He has never seen a war. He doesn't want other people to fight. And yet he's invited to like tea time at Mar-a-Lago every other day and is somehow still accepted by the base. And they still keep voting this guy in every six years in South Carolina. So. You know, do, do they want anti-establishment politicians or do they just like to believe that they want anti-establishment politicians? But at the end of the day, they're going to go with the brands they know and trust. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point. And I think you can't discount because obviously there are other there are other factors like exactly something like we could describe as political inertia, where, like you said, it's just the brand. Right. I'm going to vote R no matter what. But at the same time, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are really powerful political machines around these people, especially guys like Lindsey Graham, that exist basically just to keep him in power. In the same way, again, I'm going to say this until I'm blue in the face, but people have totally forgotten that um, in the lead up or ahead of the midterms, the political machine around Kevin McCarthy was spending a lot of money attacking candidates to his right who were viewed as potential threats to his leadership, like Anthony Sabatini in Florida and Joe Kent in Washington. I don't think you can discount that. And guys like Graham have these machines too. Um, I mean, there, there are so many stories. If you talk to people who are political operatives and they'll tell you about guys like Graham undercutting candidates or making sure that somebody else gets endorsed who, if they get into office, they're not going to be a threat to someone like him. Like this, this stuff happens. And it's part of the reason why it's so difficult to actually change things because at the end of the day, you're forced to vote for someone like Graham, right? And this is a point that I made to people that, were criticizing uh, the challengers to Kevin McCarthy, like Mike Lindell and Harmeet Dillon. You know, people were saying, I think it was really unfair, like, you know, Harmeet's a crypto leftist or Mike Lindell's a madman or whatever. And so I guess we have to go with Kevin McCarthy. And I thought that was outrageous. And, and I said, my point, my rebuttal to that was you shouldn't be forced to vote for Kevin McCarthy anyway. Like you're given, it's basically like a false choice. It's like, well, I guess we have to go with Lindsey Graham. I guess we have to go with Kevin McCarthy. If you have to go with that, there's something fundamentally wrong. And I think that the, uh, and by, I, I defended both Harmeet and Mike, I should say, um, because I thought that stuff was just unfair. But that I think was the promise of Trump, right? Is that you're going to have a kind of battering ram that that can punch a hole in the door of the establishment and make way for populists to get in. And so we did have guys like J.D. Vance that ended up you know, getting in office, but we had many more that didn't. And at the end of the day, again, this is one of those uncomfortable truths that people kind of want to skip over. But at the end of the day, Trump came down on the side of Kevin McCarthy. He came down on the side of Ronald Romney McDaniel. And he ultimately came down on the side of Lindsey Graham recently, who he gave a full-throated endorsement uh, at his first rally ahead of 2024. Yeah, it's just... It's amazing. Uh, some of the people that will get the most uh, angry, you know, online or with their phone calls into shows or whatever about you know, the establishment. Why you're sounding too establishment? You know, why are you saying this or whatever? And, and then they go and vote for Lindsey Graham. And I sit here, I go, I, I don't, I don't get it. You know, there's, there's something, there's some kind of a disconnect here. I want to ask you about what a America First agenda should look like, and maybe what it looks like right now, uh, but should look like going forward. Um, and some of the changes that should come to it in just a second. But first, uh, from our sponsor here, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Tunnel to Towers was born from the tragedy of 9-11, and Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. 
This year alone, hundreds of Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the War on Terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers Towers ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All right, Pedro, perfect man to uh, address this. Uh, What should an America First agenda look like, whether it's Trump or someone else as the standard bearer of it going into 2024? What should be at the top of the agenda? What does it look like? Well, I hate to be terribly unoriginal, but I don't think that there's a secret sauce here. I think that you can look at the 2016 platform uh, that Trump had. You can look at the Buchanan movement and what you know what Buchanan wanted, um, and it we still we still want those things. You know, we still want a foreign policy that's actually consistent with the American, the national interests of the actual American people, as opposed to the interests of the. DC blob and the defense industry, right? We still don't really have that. I mean, case in point, Ukraine, you know, uh, the United States and Americans have been shoehorned into supporting this war and it it continues to escalate and we don't have a say in it. Uh, I I remember at the outset of the war, um, Mitch McConnell, I think was responding to questions about basically about what he thought about Tucker Carlson you know, immediately coming out against U.S. involvement in this war. Mitch McConnell's answer was something to the effect of like, well, we don't, basically, we don't care. Uh, we're going to stand with Ukraine. You know, one it's just, thing it's that, insane. Let, let's, let's digress for a second here into Ukraine uh, for a moment, because uh, one, one aspect of, of that that I think doesn't get anywhere near enough uh, attention is that there is still to this day not any realistic end state that I've heard the American foreign policy establishment in the Biden White House talk about because the destruction of the Russian war machine and its total removal from all parts of Ukraine, I assume now, although I don't know, but no one seems to know, to include Crimea, where there was a referendum, even though they can say it was under force, they held a referendum. You know, there's there's going to be a tough time, I think, convincing the Russians that it wasn't a referendum. Uh, that this is something that we, one, know where it should go, and two, the, the, the reason I always hear for why we have to spend $100 billion a year, in, which is what we're doing right now, meaning the taxpayers yeah. are sending $100 billion of materiel and money and everything else, is that otherwise it won't stop with Ukraine. And to this, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised, or maybe I should say I'm a little just taken aback because NATO exists within defined borders for a reason. Ukraine is not in NATO. So the expectation is that it would be different if they invaded Poland. But yet we're told Poland is next and they're having a hard enough time with Ukraine. So I I just don't feel like it adds up. I feel like no one's being honest with us. No, that's right. And I think it's it's even more shocking when you when you pay attention to these stories about uh, there there was a prominent Israeli uh, politician who said that he, he had been attempting to mediate peace talks between Russia and Ukraine, but the peace talks were called off by the West. He didn't say specifically who, but he just said that my attempt to mediate between Putin and Zelensky were undermined by the West, which is, I think, another way of saying the United States. And that's corroborated by uh, the the British prime minister basically saying the same thing, uh, telling Zelensky there will be no peace talks with Putin. I mean, like, that is a huge huge uncomfortable thing for americans to accept right that their government is telling them like we're on the right side of history blah blah blah. we're for peace you know uh we just want to stop the fighting and then to find out from these other politicians around the world who are actually trying to meet like negotiate some kind of a of of a of a an end to this war that doesn't you know uh result in regime change in russia or some other kind of catastrophic escalation and you come to find that the united states is like quietly the united states government rather obviously american people don't support this but the united states government is actively undermining that because again the 
the national or the, the foreign policy objectives of Washington, D.C. are different from and not consistent with what the American people want. And so I, that mean again, to, to go back to your question, we want foreign policy that's consistent with the actual American interests, right? The interests of the, the American polity, not the empire, uh, which ultimately that this was, that, that is what this is about, uh, about American hegemony or rather DC's hegemony. And the other obvious one that we're still, you know, very much, uh, uh, that we really want is immigration. Like we, we, we didn't get the border wall. Uh, we, we didn't get lasting immigration reform, right? Like it's not, I think this is really important. Uh, it's not just about building the wall and stopping illegal illegal immigration. We also want to reform the legal immigration system. You know, it's like Democrats will say that, you know, no person is illegal. Republicans will say, well, you know, one billion immigrants is fine as long as they all come here legally. They're, they're both bad. Uh, and we, we have not affected uh, meaningful, lasting immigration policy that's consistent with the America First mandate. We're, we still you, want that. I want to ask you more about you know, the immigration issue. This is something that I'm both fascinated by and somewhat fixated on on, on a policy side of things. I think Republicans uh, lack both an understanding and then tied to that a sense of urgency of just what's going on with the Biden border and, and how bad it is uh, and, and what the real circumstance is. Um, and I want to get into that. And then, of course, the Republicans who I think, whether they're quiet about it or not, want this to be perpetuated uh, because of corporate donors and business interests that want just an endless supply of cheap labor. We'll get to that, though, in one second. If you're a T-Mobile subscriber, you know that there were 37 million customer accounts that had data exposed in a big hack recently. They had to tell everybody about this. This stuff happens with big companies all the time. Your personal information gets exposed online because of a hack and then cyber thieves get it usually on the dark web where it's all posted or sold and then they take out loans or credit cards in your name identity theft happens all the time it's happened to me but now i have lifelock and that's what you need to to protect you online lifelock monitors the web 24 7 for a regular activity and new account openings if they see unusual activity in your name and you're a lifelock customer lifelock customer like i am you'll get an alert via text or email and they'll tell you hey something's going on and if you got a problem you can step in right away to fix it it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. And no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But it is easy to protect yourself as much as possible with LifeLock online. I've re- relied on them for years. Join now. Save up at 25% off your first year with promo code BUCK at LifeLock.com. That's LifeLock.com, promo code BUCK, or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Again, use my name, BUCK. You get 25% off, or you can just call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Uh, all right, Pedro, so... You brought up something very interesting, which is that there also needs to be a conversation about uh, excessive legal immigration um, and and what that means for our country's uh, cohesiveness, for the assimilation processes that we've all known were necessary in previous major immigration waves to the country. What we're seeing right now is, is, is unprecedented, though. You have millions of people coming across the border, literally millions, five million in the last two years, over five million. And it seems that Republicans, you know, keep thinking about this in terms of, uh, well, if we can slow down the flow, then we'll be in a better position to deal with the problem. If they're unwilling, I mean, the fundamental position that I think nobody will really talk about, really talk about is if you're not willing to tell people who are in the country illegally that they have to leave, you're just going to get endless flows of people illegally coming into the country. And the Biden administration, not only is the border wide open, Interior enforcement has basically disappeared. I mean, for all intents and purposes, there is no interior enforcement to speak of, meaning once you're here, you're good. If that's the case, we we can build whatever walls, moats, you know, you name it. People are going to find a way to get here. If they can stay here, that's that's game over. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that's I was actually thinking about this the other day that you notice that you don't really hear about that from Republicans anymore. It's always like secure the border, secure the border, okay? And then what? What about the what about all of the people? I think the estimates are in the millions. The the amount of people that have come here illegally just since Biden Biden has been president, it's the last time I heard a figure it was between three and five million. It's five just at least five. with the with the gotaways, yeah. it's at least five million now. Yeah. Right. So what happens after you build the wall? And Republicans haven't said anything. And the because the obvious answer is well you have to deport these people, 
but that's obviously somewhere that they're, it seems like they're not ready to go there. And I mean, again, I don't, I think the, I think the Trump administration serves as an example of what happens, why it's important to not just basically talk about, you know, getting tough on crime or immigration, but actually doing it. And so here's an example. Um, under Chad Wolf, who was running Trump's DHS, discretionary funding that could have been cut from sanctuary cities, basically as punishment for being in violation of federal immigration laws, uh, was still given to them. Trump's DHS was still funding sanctuary cities, even though it was in their power to withhold that. There, there, were, there were no efforts to really, and, and, I mean, this is another thing that most people have no idea, but interior enforcement had also essentially collapsed under Trump. Interior enforcement is not just catching guys at the border, but people basically removing people from what it sounds like, the interior of the United States. That also essentially collapsed under him. And part of it had to do with sanctuary cities. So again, you hear this all the time, build the wall, build the wall. Okay. And then what? Yes. And it just seems like Republicans are really uncomfortable with going there. But you do hear all the time talking about amnesty. I mean, as late as 20, I mean, in 2019, there was actually talks about amnesty between um, Lindsey Graham and, and Jared Kushner. Um, and then I think Lindsey Graham is actually a great example of the legal immigration problem as well. And I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, in in the early days of COVID, Lindsey Graham was was pushing with the Trump White House to increase the number of EB-5 visas that are available annually by 650%. These are visas that are most that mostly go to wealthy Chinese investors and they effectively allow you they allow you to buy a green card and they're often connected to like real estate development scams in the United States. Um, and so the plan was to increase the number of those visas that mostly go to the Chinese by 650% while lowering the amount of money it would take to buy one, basically making it cheaper uh, to buy America, right? And it, ironically, it probably died because of the coronavirus, uh, because you know you can't do a, a visa giveaway for the Chinese when you're talking about the China virus, right? Uh, but that's an example. That's that's a legal program. It is legal to sell green cards. That's not okay. <laughs> yeah. that, it completely degrades the salience of citizenship. Well, this so is the legal also, immigration problem. You right? know, this is also where where I think there's an unwillingness. Uh, on the right, never mind among Democrats, to really speak about, I mean, this is this is how I'll frame it for people. I'll say, okay, so let's talk about immigration. Um, w- would America still be, uh, or actually it's, it's even easier to take a smaller country. Like you take a country uh, the size of, oh, I don't know, Sweden, let's say, right? Sweden, I think has 10 million people live in Sweden, something like yeah. that. Does that sound about right? Um, should, should Sweden be concerned about taking in 2 million immigrants from all over the rest of the world. Is that something that's okay? And people say yes to that. I'll say, what about 5 million? I mean, because that would be easy. Sweden's got a, why is that a bad thing? And people will start to say, well, you know, there's, okay, well, so, so there's something there. When you bring up in the context of American immigration, is there any, even on the illegal immigration side, what is the downside of illegal immigration? Democrats will say there is none. They won't admit. Is there any downside to legal? Is it is it expensive? Do they commit more crimes than native born Americans or, or or anything? If you look at it, is there a problem? Does it does it strain the public services system anywhere? No, they'll say no. They do the jobs Americans won't do, and they make us all richer, and they make us a better country. And you say, okay, so then why don't you just pass a law that anybody can come here? Like what what's if there's no downside, why do we have immigration laws? This is what I always return to. If no one's willing to admit that there can be any problem with too many people coming to the country at one time in, you know, yeah. and, and, and overwhelming really? assimilation system. I just feel like we have to go back to very basic conversations about what is the purpose of an immigration system? Isn't it to benefit the people already here or is it just to be the world's you know soup kitchen and welfare ward? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this goes back to the the talk that the right needs to have about political institutions and whether or not they can uh they can be neutral and i think that maybe we confuse neutrality with something that has to happen before you can even have something that resembles neutrality and and what that what that is 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 a basic agreement on the fundamentals there's a difference between disagreeing on like i don't know tax rates you know uh, and and there's a difference between that like we disagree how much you know should be taken out of your paycheck to fund social programs and disagreeing on whether or not we should have borders. And when people who don't believe we should have borders or are much closer to that position, 
uh, are, are in positions of power. Um, when you have, you know, people who are actually, you know, ideologically pretty, pretty out there, like Bayorkas, uh, it becomes impossible to, to basically have cohesive immigration policy. And that's precisely why. And I think the right needs to understand that uh, you can you can have disagreements. Yes, obviously, th those are healthy. But ba basically, America is one country that is actually home to two different nations. And it seems like one nation understands that reality, the left, which is why they're trying to like take control of everything and, and you know force their worldview on us. And the right, which is often kind of either in denial of it or just wants to be left alone. Yeah, and no, I, I, I think that's very I think that's very astute. And I would just say I'm trying to always tell people on, on our team, broadly speaking, Pedro, that while it's worthwhile and and maybe you could even argue somewhat necessary to just always point out that the left engages in, you know, they're hip, they're hypocrites. I mean, the most obvious versions of this are, you know, oh, they care about climate change, but they all fly on private jets. You know, I mean, this is this is true in a whole range of issues. But what I always try to remind people on the right is that the the leftist mind isn't troubled by that because yeah. their feeling is they are better people. They deserve to live a better life. And the peasants, the everyday, they actually have to do what they're told. And so it's fine that there is this stratification. It's fine that there is this system. You know, Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe that she should have illegal immigrants in her neighborhood. The whole point yep. is that other people, you know, and and let's say a lot of non-college educated whites who are doing, uh, you know, more manual labor, they should have illegal immigrants in their neighborhoods. And that is fair. Right. And, and that that's actually the way the left approaches these things. So while while we we can point to the hypocrisy all the time, they actually view our politics as a spoil system and they want to they get to sit atop it and and feel good about themselves for sacrificing the schools or emergency room access or you know whatever crime depending on the issue we're talking about it's not just immigration it's on everything um yeah. that that they then know that the hypocrisy is the point is basically the underlying premise yeah. Yeah. i think pointing out hypocrisy is kind of like uh, indulging in like chocolate or something like that. It makes you feel good because it makes you feel like you've got the moral high ground. And I, I don't blame people for doing that because it's learned, right? That's that's what you're taught by by that's that's what the conservative movement has done for so long to kind of comfort itself with basically losing gracefully. Um, but I think, like I said before, I think instead what we have to do is we have to look at the you know the edifice that the left has built, like which is I mean it is hierarchical. Uh, and like Jordan Peterson uh, once pointed out with the, the whole lobster uh, analogy, hierarchy is just part of nature, I think. And so what the right has to do is to look at that and think to itself, I can, we can build a better, we can build a better America. We can, we can build a better country for our children uh, than, than someone like Nancy Pelosi can. And I, I think that we just don't have that because again, the attitude is that the left is hypocritical if we were if we were in power, we would just leave everybody alone. But that I mean that's how you get um, you know drag queen story hour. Yeah, that's how you get open borders. Uh, do you, do you that, that's how you get all of this stuff. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it would have been 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 juicy. The podcast would have taken a a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, KB Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that that COVID and the excesses, because it really was medical authoritarianism. I mean, it, it got completely insane, as you and I both know. It, yep. went, it, went, it went to levels beyond, in the early days, what I thought would even be possible. Um, and that people went along with it is still to their everlasting shame. Uh, and people that promoted this stuff, demanded this stuff of other individuals, you know, mask up between bites, stand in line outside six feet apart. I mean, th- this stuff was all for idiots. Honestly, it was idiocy from the beginning. It was obvious this stuff was moronic beyond words. I um, mean, I still remember going to a Whole Foods in New York City at the very peak, like March of 2020. And they had all these people standing outside. It was really cold. And they're in the... I was like, who, who thinks that this is going to do anything to slow down a virus? I mean, how long are we really going to go through this charade anyway? I mean, I remember going through this process in my head, like, this is for morons. People were happy to do it for month, for years. I mean, they just kept doing this crap. They were completely and utterly out of their minds. But I think that the conservative, I don't know if fantasy is the right word, but you know, conservative utopia had to shift from a world in which we could totally minimize the ability of government to do anything to you. You know, we're all going to live off grid. We're going to live in a cabin somewhere. And it's going to be you know, sort of a beautiful babbling brook going by our house. And, you know, there'll be deer that we can turn into venison when we shoot them with their bow and arrow. And, and you know, we'll, we'll have some gold that we'll store in the ground. And all. That, that was this, for a lot of people, the sense of what the, the perfect America is an America in which the government is just leaving you alone to the recognition that that would be great, but it is a fantasy. And that if you don't have a government that you actually have a say in that will protect you from the lunatics, the lunatics are going to make you triple mask while you're, you know, uh, going to to the store every day outside by yourself and telling you it's time for vaccine jab number 15. Like, you know, you got to pick your poison. Yep. No, that's right. I I think it's just inescapable of like the the libertarian mindset of of just, you know, uh, abolishing the state or whatever. It's like someone will always... There will always be hierarchy. Uh, someone will always be in charge, and it's it's either people that you trust to govern responsibly, or people that are not capable of doing that, and they're going to make your life hell. And I, I think COVID was obviously a great example of that. But I mean, I guess the the diff, the more difficult pill to swallow is the fact that it wasn't just in blue states. Like that's that's another kind I of um, that's another kind of lie that we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. Well, it's a blue state problem. I saw videos of of. Uh, of guys in Texas, you know, getting the, like refusing to shut down bars and then standing outside of them to protect them 
um, from, I don't know, like looters or whatever. And, uh, you know, like a, a SWAT rolls up in an AMRAP to arrest them, you know, in Texas mm-hmm. or, or like today, uh, not today, but like more recently, you know, you, you've got more and more like Antifa doing armed patrols to protect drag queen story hour in Texas. Not, not like, you know, oh, it's Austin or whatever. Oh, it's a city like Dallas. Like, no, this is like Galveston, red Texas. You've got Antifa doing armed patrols, making sure that kids can attend drag queen story hour. Because again, if you don't use government to, I mean, this is what happens. Uh, this, I'm trying to avoid language that, you know, conservatives find, you know, terrible and sounds like statist, uh, to use a term, but th- just the reality of it. Again, nature abhors a vacuum. Yes, and, and I, as you're, as you're saying all this, I, I do start to think that, um, remember the, did you, ever, did you ever see Ghostbusters, the movie Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yeah. Remember when uh, Ray and Winston are in the car and they're talking about, you know, Judgment Day and the the, the yeah. seas will turn, yeah. seas will boil and then, you know, and the, and the sky will be red as blood and all this sort of stuff. And, and they're like, uh, they're like Judgment Day. When you're talking about armed Antifa uh, patrols protecting drag queen story hour, which is specifically adult hairy men dressed as women gyrating their privates in front of small children and being militant about this and how important this is to do. And the Biden administration going along with transgender surgery for adolescents, for teenagers, perhaps even younger than that, from Joe Biden, from the White House. They call that medical care now. That is not some left-wing position that the White House can pretend isn't uh, absolutely at Joe Biden's feet. And you have, you know, that recent uh, performance at the at the Grammys with, uh, I, I don't know, the, you know, the guy, sort of the satanic yes, thing. Sir. I mean, yep. it does sort of feel sometimes like the left is just on a program to destroy everything that is good, wholesome, decent, honest and worthwhile in our society and to do so uh, with a vicious glee. Yeah. Well, I think th- this is, again, maybe another misconception that we have. And you're right. They are destroying things that we find good. And true and beautiful, uh, but they're also building something. It's it's the same thing with monuments, right? Like oh, like the left can only that was something that you heard a lot in 2020. I probably said it myself too. Like the left can only destroy, but they're actually building something. They they replace the monuments of Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and George Washington with monuments of George Floyd and that that weird sculpture that, that looks like Cthulhu's girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, this it's this gold sculpture that's been making the rounds. Oh yes, uh, uh, the 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 sort of uh, I mean, it looks like a demonic woman that they put yes. up in New York, right? With uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was a Lovecraft reference because that's that's what someone described it. And I thought that's perfect because she has like tentacles for arms. It's just really hideous stuff. Um, but again, they're they're building something. It's hideous to us. It's it's horrifying to us. But they are building something. And again, it's it's what happens when you believe that you can just kind of like you said, you know, uh, move off to go live on Ruby Ridge. And, you know, we know how that ends. So. Yeah, I, I think that there is, unfortunately, uh, there is no real fence sitting in this, in, in the culture wars and politics yeah. in this country now. And at some level, I almost think that it's been clarifying, Pedro, that uh, th- that sports, the arts... Netflix, Amazon Prime, the major studios, Disney, uh, that they have all just come out and shown you, no, we're going to program your kids with insane left-wing filth unless you stop us. That's, you know, you you can say, oh, I don't care, and politics makes you depressed and whatever. They're going to do these things unless someone stops them. You can ask them. it's It's like you said. You can say, please stop punching me. They won't. You can punch back or else they're going to keep doing it. And I think people have woken up to this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, people like this that have this kind of imperious mindset, which I think a lot of leftists do, um, there's no one that they're going to hurt more than people who are unarmed or per- or perceived as kind of defenseless. I, I recently wrote an article. It should be coming out soon for the European conservative about the Spanish uh, Civil War. And something that I wrote about was called the Red Terror. And this was this episode where these leftists in Spain started to crack down uh, and basically mass murder 
uh, members of the clergy, uh, nuns, priests, clerics. I mean, like just uh, civilians who try to protect them. And the people that they seemed, and, and like the way that they killed these people were, were just absolutely, like you, you wouldn't believe it, like just horrific ways to, to execute people in public in the most sacrilegious, like just, I mean, this is the problem with the secular lexicon is it doesn't have the words that you need to, to communicate certain things. And when you read about what the Spanish, they're called the Republicans, which is funny because yeah, they're I basically know. communist. But when you read about what they did, I mean, it's demonic. But here's the thing is the people that they seemed to do the worst things to were those who were defenseless. And yeah. I think that's a really important, and I, the reason I wrote that, that, that essay, which again should be out soon, is, is precisely because I, I argue there's a lot to learn from this. Uh, because the, the, the same mindset that inhabited the minds of the Spanish Republicans, I think is prevalent everywhere that there is a kind of radical militant left. I, I know there's so, some people who think uh, that this is a, and I, I know we're almost at time, Pedro, so I want to be mindful of that, but they'll think this is um, this is going too far, and that's fine, but I, I believe it anyway, uh, that the willingness of people in this country to convince themselves that those who would not go along with you know the whole experimental vaccine thing were monsters who were literally putting lives at risk, who were killing people, that is terrifying because if they were willing to believe that on this issue, given all the realities that they should have picked up on that show them this was crazy, I don't think it's I don't think it's the last time that they'll decide people who disagree with them are monsters who are who are killing other people no. and therefore must be dealt with severely. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about this at my Substack um, because there was an article in the Atlantic where some woman was saying it's time for like a pandemic amnesty. Both sides were yeah. really mean to each other. No, no, both sides were not. One side was trying to lock the other side in its in their house. You know, it was trying to arrest them for not wearing a mask. Was forcing them, was trying to force them and their children to take vaccines. Right, and 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 in that article to make the case that no, these people don't deserve amnesty or it's just a ridiculous term is the fact that you can go back and you can find articles in like mainstream publications where columnists are saying you should laugh at people who die yes. after refusing to get the vaccine. You should laugh at them because they deserve to die for endangering others. So you're, I mean, you're like you said, sometimes it's like, am I going too far? Like, am I, am I like losing the plot? But then you go back and you read like, you know, like a perfectly mainstream publication where some leftist is saying, I'm glad you're dead. And I think it's funny. I'm glad your loved one died because they didn't want to take the vaccine. And I think it's hilarious. I'll never forget that during COVID when, uh, and, and I was somebody who, and now to my, uh, you know, to my regret, I encouraged my parents who were elderly and had uh, my dad had, you know, comorbidity, you know, what we considered comorbidities, uh, some health issues. I encouraged them to get the vaccine. And I just remember whenever my parents and they've now gotten COVID like three times each. and I've gotten COVID three times. And, you know, it's just the whole thing ends up being such a such a ridiculous farce. But whenever they got COVID in the early days, my thought was first, of course, I just want my parents to be fine. But in the back of my head, I was like. I know that if my, one of my parents were to succumb to COVID, there would be people openly celebrating on Twitter because they're my parents. And, and, and by the way, that would be fine. Right wing radio hosts, you know, family member dies from COVID. Therefore, that is a good thing because he doesn't believe in masking. That was the mentality across the board. If you were a Democrat, that was your party. That was the belief system. I don't think they've ever been forced to come to grips with that by the rest of us who have seen what the reality is. No, it's completely ghoulish. I mean, like Red, there's this this uh, forum on Reddit where they I think they they came up with what was called the Herman Cain Award, which they named after people that die after publicly saying that they don't want a mask or take a vaccine, they get the Herman Cain Award. Uh, it, it, like, and again, you can find all these headlines exactly saying what you just said. You know, conservative radio host who, uh, you know, slammed wearing masks dies of COVID. So, like you could, it's headline after headline after headline of these ghoulish celebrations of people dying. So no, I, you're completely right to say that uh, the the left did it once. Uh, there's no reason to believe that they won't do it again. There's also no reason to believe that they won't be worse about it because they never apologize because they don't think that they did anything wrong. Yes, there has, the like you said, there's never been a kind of reckoning for this. You remember that time you guys were celebrating every time like your neighbor died. 
because they didn't want to wear a mask? Nope, because it was fine. Yeah, I know. This is why I'm I'm uh I'm a little pessimistic about where the parties and politics are heading in this country right now. But I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong. And I can tell you this: it's worth uh, your time, everybody, to subscribe to Pedro's Substack Contra on Substack. Go check it out. Pedro is a fighter and a thinker simultaneously, which is fantastic. Pedro Gonzalez, appreciate you making the time for me, man. We'll we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Buck. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 